thank you for joining us today for the Conform to Christ podcast, where we aim to engage the mind, affect the heart, and call people to follow Christ. My name is George Mays, and with me, as always, is Jay Jones. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Well, it's a uh, text-driven Tuesday, but of course, it is Monday morning for us. Yes, that's right. How are you doing this Monday morning? Doing fine. Yeah, doing good. Yep. Not bad at all. We are almost a week into the uh, Biden presidency. Yeah. High Biden Harris. Biden Harris. Have you noticed that for presidents in the past, it was always like uh-huh. the Obama administration, mm. the Trump administration? Mm-hmm. Everywhere in print, everywhere it's talked about this time, you know, it's really? the Biden Harris huh. administration. You know I, why? They're prepping. They're prepping. I you. haven't. Not- I hadn't noticed that. They're prepping us for the inevitable right. switcherooski <laughs> that's going to take place here pretty soon. Once they tell us that, yeah. you know, he's mentally incapable. Mm-hmm. How you feeling about this administration so far? I, I mean, I. How many? How many executive uh, orders has like he? Twenty has he signed so far? Twenty. Like do we need? Do we need uh, a legislature at all <laughs> right. anymore? Yeah, like twenty. That's like a re- is it a record. I think it's a record. First first day, man. First day, yeah. Piling them on. That's, <laughs> that's uh. He doesn't know what he's signing either. They're just bringing him in there, and he's signing away. And the it, what he's doing, it's uh, it's rubbing everyone the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Shutting down the the Keystone pipeline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeez, the plumbers union wasn't happy about that. Did you see? They backed, they backed him. Yeah. And then they came out there like, uh-huh. eh, <laughs> maybe a bad call since we just lost like 15,000 jobs. Yeah. <laughs> it's like people didn't. It's like people they have didn't the, pay, the, They didn't pay attention to what policies he was saying he, he was going to enact people before have, they voted for him. They have really short term memories. Uh-huh. So like people just for, literally forget. Yeah. You forgot like what they're about like right not a surprise got that buyer's remorse yeah yeah and on uh anniversary of roe they Uh released a big white house statement on how the anniversary of roe v wade yep but at least he hasn't uh he hasn't sent out any mean tweets yeah that's right can't stand those those mean tweets Mm -hmm. (laughs) mm-hmm Mm. Yep. I'm just gonna All sip right. my coffee. What do you over got here. over here? Just got a little coffee. Yeah. You know? Is that a what is this? You got Reformation there. Bible College sent this to me. Oh really? Yeah. What for? I, I think they were hoping I would donate. Um, but I just took their mug and started enjoying it. <laughs> so, yeah. Appreciate it. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. That's uh, Sproul's Bible College that he started, Reformation oh, okay. Bible College, yeah, there in Florida. Why'd they send you one? I have no idea. Actually, I have no idea. I mean, I've donated to Ligonier before, uh-huh. so maybe they... Well, and also, we have a good relationship with Ligonier. They've given us a lot of books for our, That's com- right. yeah. for our conference, That's like true. at insane discounts, Yeah, like where they made no money off yeah. of it at all, and they just helped us out. And I was like, you, you guys know we're Baptists, right? <laughs> That's literally what I said to him on the phone. I was like, you guys know we're Baptists, right? Yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I mean, we're, we just want to help you guys out in your conference. I'm like, all right. Well, th- this might help, be a this might be away. a good this might be a good time for us to advertise the conference that's coming up. Yeah. So we've got uh, February 5th and 6th is the fifth uh, annual Christ Centered Churches Conference, and crazy it's been we, five years. It's been five years. Yeah, yeah. We started it right after I got here. Mm-hmm. Um, 2016, so, first first one. Yeah. Um, so this is a, a conference that is devoted to um, uh, healthy churches. We yeah. we want to promote healthy churches. Right. We want to promote. Um, we we want to talk about the the issues that go into a healthy church. Mm-hmm. And uh, so this this year is going to be a little bit different. It's already been different because we usually have it at the end of the year. We had to postpone it because of. Um, not just COVID, but because of um, it was right around the presidential right. election, and we were concerned about what that would look like. Right. Yeah. Uh, so we postponed it. To, People trying to travel in and right. things like that. Yeah. Yeah. So we postponed it to February. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this year it's going to be at Trinity Church in Chickasha. Chickasha. Yep. And uh, it's going to be a little bit different because it's uh, we're going to have some different speakers. Yeah, it's mainly usual. it's mainly all new speakers yeah. except for uh, well, R- Randy Tyler's been spoken before, mm-hmm. but and he's Bill, he's Billy. not been a regular. Yeah, and Billy and is Billy. back, but he had a year off. He did. So yeah, yeah, it'll be a new lineup of speakers. Yeah. Um. So just want to encourage people to come to that. Uh, February fifth and sixth, they can sign up at Christ Dash Centered dot Church dot Church. Yep. Scroll to the bottom. Sign up. And uh, yeah, it's uh, should be good. It's always it's always fun to go. Uh, it'd be different not actually preaching at it this year. You know, I looked. Um, I saw a picture of the founders' conference. I, I thought that would be really big. I mean, it, it's pretty good size, but we're pretty close to the amount of people that they have. Oh, really? That is not bad for a bunch of nobodies. Because <laughs> right. that's who we are. I mean, yeah. honestly, nobody knows. Yeah, who no we one are. knows who we are. We're a bunch of just regular nobodies right. cranking out an awesome conference in the Midwest. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so get registered and come to that. Yep. Uh, five, five speakers over two days. Uh, this get year, a lot, of, the, lot of books, lots of free books, lots of lots of books. Uh, lunch on Saturday. Yeah, it is a cheap conference, man. Yeah, it's like it is. what is the ticket? Like fifteen bucks, twenty so. twenty dollars now because it's not early bird, mm-hmm. and you're gonna get like a hundred dollars worth of books. <laughs> right. Yeah, pretty like good. Other conferences are other con- conferences are much more expensive. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be good. Yeah, check it out. All right. Well, there's there's our plug for the the conference. Well, let's get into uh, the text today. Okay. It's yeah. Text Driven Tuesday, so we're looking at uh, the sermon that you preached on Sunday. Um, you uh, you finished John 16 last week, yeah. and so you, uh, you were preaching um, something outside of John. Mm. Didn't know that you, you still knew that there were other books, other books yeah. outside of John. Yeah. So that's good. good yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so this was a, a sermon that you preached from Acts chapter 17. Mm-hmm. This is uh, Paul in Athens. At uh, he's, he's going to be preaching on Mars Hill. Mm-hmm. And um, why, why, why did you choose to preach this passage? Well, so what I wanted to do was preach another 
uh, sermon highlighting the atrocity of abortion in our country, mm-hmm. which I've done before a few times. Yeah. Um, not only just regular sermons on it. Um, and, you know, we don't always do sermons on this, on uh, Sanctity of Human Life Day, which was Friday, mm-hmm. 22nd, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so. yeah. We have before, but we may preach about it in the middle of the year mm-hmm. or have applications made from it. I mean, it's something that we is we keep before the church's mind. But uh, I just was thinking about it and trying to think beyond the reality of abortion to how how like how is how did this happen? Mm-hmm. Like, how did we get to this point? Where right. we are, where we find ourselves today, and so how could I help the church to understand our culture of where we find ourselves today? Because where we find ourselves today is even different than where we were in '73. But how we got to '73, mm-hmm. as we'll see, is you know we'll talk about it. Right, is really what's behind all of this. So kind of the conclusion that I'd come to is, hmm, like I don't think we're thinking about our nation correctly. Like we have okay. a very romanticized. Mm-hmm view of the United States of America, right. and it is a great nation, probably, you know, the greatest nation on the planet still. I still believe that, but um, we're not a Christian nation, mm-hmm. and people talk about this place like like we're the we're in New Jerusalem, you right. know? We're a shining city on a hill. Yeah. Uh, numerous politicians use that all the time, mm-hmm. you know, and, and this is like the second promised land, and we're God's chosen people. And when we think about the country like that, it actually hurts us um, when we start to think about abortion and what the correct response to abortion mm-hmm. should be. Like, what, what, what is what should be our primary aim in this issue? Not just this issue, but any other cultural issue, right? So that's kind of what I was thinking about, okay. and um, and came to the con- you know I just came to this conclusion: we aren't thinking about the culture correctly, and therefore we're not thinking about what the response should be to these things correctly. Okay, all right, yeah. So you um, you, you talked about um, how we got here, mm-hmm. and. Um, what, so we were, they've, they've just, uh, what's it been? 48 years, 48 years. Yeah. 48 years. Um, 62 million, uh, babies have been murdered. You said, you said four out of 10 unplanned pregnancies end in abortion. Yes. Okay. That's right. Half, half of pregnancies in this nation are unplanned. Mm -hmm. Four in 10 of those will end in an abortion. Okay. And, uh, we hear those statistics and it just kind of we're we're numb to it yeah um like we can't we can't even imagine that number mm-hmm. right that's that is a huge number yeah yeah um, I, what 84 million were killed in world war ii mm. I, th- I think uh, somewhere around there i don't know we could look it up we could yeah <laughs> But we're we're talking epic proportions. Oh yeah, yeah. It's a nine eleven every day. But we we hear that's it. what it is. Yeah, it's more people 
die every day of abortion than died in 9-11. Mm-hmm. Every day. Yeah. But we, we just kind of hear those those numbers. We hear those statistics, and we we just kind of yeah let it. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're unaffected. Over a million a year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. it, we just become numb to it. We desensi- we're desensitized to it. That's right. not a good place to be as a church. We, You know, I started I, the sermon off talking about vaccination and, and inoculation. Right. And we've heard the term before, inoculated to the gospel, mm-hmm. and meaning that you can grow up in the South or grow up in the Bible Belt, and you hear the gospel so many times as a kid, and you have just enough of the gospel to to ensure that you never actually become a Christian. <laughs> right. You're inoculated gospel. But it goes the other way, too. Yeah. Um, you can be inoculated to the world around you, to things that should prick your conscience mm-hmm. and cause you distress. You've just grown numb to it. And I, and that's what's really, that's kind of what happened. I heard another pastor friend talk about abortion in this way, and I thought, he's really right about that. We're inoculated against this. Yeah. We're just numb to it. Yeah. So we need to, so one of your purposes for this sermon was to, um, again, sensitize us to what's going on but you did it in a, a particular way and we'll get to it when we uh, we talk about the passage but um, you also wanted to deal with um, the way in which we approach this issue mm-hmm. so we're, we're part of um, a growing number of of Christians who would call themselves abolitionist mm-hmm. so we the the way typically that um, abortion has been approached from the pro life conservatives has been to incrementally um, pass laws yeah. to restrict abortion, uh, hopefully with the ultimate goal of making abortion um, unthinkable. Well, you wonder if that's really the goal. You want, yeah, you wonder if that's really the goal. I because it's been going on for forty eight years, right? Yeah. Um, I I mean, I would. Maybe it's a little cynical, but I think it's probably realistic that it's more of a political talking point. It's more of a platform to right. run on than, you can than raise, anything you else. You can raise a lot of money if you're a politician. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if you want to get more, if you want to get the conservative Christian votes, you've got to talk say, about yeah. being pro life. That's right. Um, so, uh, but um, we, we would. Um, we would be abolitionists. We believe that abortion ought to be criminalized. Mm-hmm. We believe that um, from conception to natural death, man is made in the image of God. Yeah. And so everyone made in the image of God should um, have equal standing under the law. Mm-hmm. And so um, they shouldn't be murdered. Right? That's right. Um, but... Your your focus in this sermon was um, to reorient us to how we need to approach abortion, right. because you you talked about how we we got here right. to this this place, and the the culture, the atmosphere of of America, yes, and um, we we would absolutely support any kind of legislation that would criminalize abortion. Mm-hmm. But you raised the question of, um, is it possible? Yeah. Is this, is this realistically going to happen? Yeah. Um, and you gave an, a, a good illustration. Mm-hmm. And you've, you've given me this illustration before, but you, you told it to the church um, on Sunday. Yes. 
Um, and that illustration was about criminalizing homosexuality. Mm-hmm. So what, what was that illustration again? Okay, well, t- the illustration is to demonstrate that the culture is actually way more far gone than, than we admit it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just don't often admit it is in the issue of abortion. So we affirm that we should be fighting against abortion in every way possible, mm-hmm. but it, it can become the primary means by which we fight can be legal or political, right. and it shouldn't be because the culture is so far gone. Mm-hmm. If I'm honest, I don't think I don't think any state has enough Christians in it to support doing what's right, defying the federal government, giving equal protection. The and the reason I don't think it will happen is because the majority of people in the culture are not Christians. Mm-hmm. Even even in a state like ours, where, yeah, we could we could. I yeah. mean, this this is very realistic. We're in Oklahoma. Yeah, um, we are one of the most, if not the most, you know, yes. quote unquote pro life states yes. in the union. Yeah. And we can't even do it. Yeah. We yeah. we've had we've had bills. We've had several now. Yeah. Five that, that five, have been I believe five hundred uh people out of every two thousand people say they're Southern Baptists in the state. Okay. I did a church planning deal to try to you So know, we we've, we've had we've had bills presented yeah. to they were, and they were to, to our legislature that would criminalize abortion. Mm-hmm. It would it would make it illegal to yeah. obtain an abortion in Oklahoma. Yeah, and not only could it not pass, it didn't even get a hearing because the conservatives were fighting against That's it. That's right. So the the Republicans mm-hmm. in the legislature were fighting against it, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. even to our our horror, the Baptist General Convention of Oklahoma, the Oklahoma Southern Baptist. We're fighting against it. Yes. Now, the il- so the illustration is to demonstrate to us how we think wrongly. Like we think, oh, we we can get this passed and it'll happen. Yeah. Well, if it ever did get passed, it's going to get immediately overturned. Mm-hmm. It'll be challenged. I mean, it, it's because the culture's not here to keep it law. Right. Like it's it's not. And you, and the reason you know that is because if I were to tell you we're going to organize like we're like people are going to that there's a political lobbying group and it's massive. It's got a lot of funding and uh it's got a lot of energy behind it, a lot of momentum and they're going to put forth legislation to uh criminalize homosexuality and sodomy and to make uh, same-sex marriage illegal. You would laugh. You'd be like there's no way that's going to happen in this culture. Mhm. You say that's never going to happen. That's that's a you're wasting your time and energy. Yeah. Right? I, I think so, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And um and the reason is because the culture mm-hmm. is gone full pagan. Yeah. That's what's happened. Okay. Now we've we have um We just don't think it has, and that's the other thing <laughs> right. we need to point out is <laughs> right. we live in these little Christian bubbles. Mm-hmm. Like we're stuck in these little bubbles where everybody thinks like we do. Yeah. And we don't realize that this bubble is small, and social media doesn't help us realize that. The majority of the way people think and what uh, what dominates their worldview is not Christian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now we've we have um, we we have actually engaged um, politically. Mm-hmm. We've we've spoken at the state capitol on this issue. Right. Um, would you say that there's a shift going on in your own? mindset would you do it again 
Um, well, I'm not so sure we weren't being used at that time. Okay. Looking back, um, I think we were being used by uh, people that had political political goals, and okay. to have a pastor, you know, or pastors, um, that really strengthens your cause in this state. Mm-hmm. So we were shuffled around here or there, get us in front of the cameras, move us around. I think it's political cause. The other thing that disturbed me at that was at the very end of it. I shared the gospel, and uh, the the people there. One of the things I told them is. Um, your polit- political activism won't save you, right? And things got really quiet. Yeah, it did. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> Do you remember that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and so that's a concern. Yeah, that's a that's a major concern, right? Um, so what you're saying is not that we shouldn't be um, advocating for this, that we shouldn't even be um, fighting for this, but that our emphasis needs to be on. Preaching the gospel, you can't. Yeah, yeah, and I'm, and it's not a either or. What it is is a mm-hmm. primary. Right. What should be primary? Mm-hmm. People will say the gospel should be primary, but when you look at how uh, things are applied and things happen in the real world, yeah. you can begin to see. Well, that's just something you say. Mm-hmm. Um, what can turn a pagan culture? That's the question. Right. What can turn a pagan culture? Yeah. And that's why I went with Paul in Athens. Okay. Well, that was a, a long, a long intro into the text, it but we had that we had to set it up mm-hmm. for what is uh, what you were talking about in Acts chapter seventeen. So yeah. let's look at Acts chapter seventeen. You you looked at verses sixteen through thirty four. Yep. Um, you up to reading. Oh, it's a big portion. This, this passage for us to get us in. I'll do it. Okay. I'm not that great. Oh, can you switch it over to the uh, screen? Here we go. Um, Acts 17, beginning verse 16. Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and the Stoic philosophers also conversed with him, and some said, What does this babbler wish to say? Others said, He seems to be preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting, for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious, for as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods of their boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring." Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone or an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. 
And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, We will hear we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out of their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom were also Dionysius the Areopagite, and a woman named Damar- Damaris, and others with him. All right, I noticed you uh, You still have a little bit of pause when you're saying the Areopagus. That's right. There, Jay. Areopagite. Yeah. It's yeah. always, um, you always get nervous when you're, you have to stand up in front of the congregation and read a passage and you've got yeah. a word that you're not, you're not quite sure how you're going to pronounce it until you get to yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, um, let's see. I've got... Uh, George, you took a lot of notes, man. I've got... Good night. <laughs> Hold that up to the camera. Look at that. That's sermon notes. Good night. There you go. Yep. All right. So you had... I I have four points here. You got it. Okay. All right. So let me see if I've got these. I threw a little loop, didn't I? I didn't. I didn't tell you guys what was coming this time. You uh, you didn't, and um, even as you were going through it, it it was very smooth. Mm-hmm. Your transitions were very uh, were very smooth. So it's a little mix I've, up of style. Let's see if did I've, it keep it fresh. I, I thought it was good. Yeah, you got to yeah. change things up like that. That's right <laughs> for the people. Yeah. All right, so let's uh, let's see if I've got these correct because you were already into your first point before I realized that you were in your first point. All right, <laughs> so I had to go back and uh, and try to think of what your your first point was okay so i've got the motivation of the gospel that's right hey, hey all right you got it uh the audience of the gospel uh-huh. uh paul's message of the gospel mm-hmm. and then the response to the gospel that's right hey boom see there's even some substructure in one of those there's a little bit a number three uh-huh yep okay so um paul's motivation for the gospel mm-hmm. so he's walking around athens and he is seeing all of these idols. Yeah. They've they've just got all of these all these idols. They even have an idol to an unknown god. Right. So what's what's going on here? Why is he it this is Athens is not that different from I mean, he's been to all of these other places mm-hmm. where there's been idolatry. Right. I mean, he's been in Asia Minor. Um he's he's been in Northern Greece, Macedonia. Uh, what what's so different about Athens? What's going on here? Well, Athens is like the cultural capital mm-hmm. of of uh, the world. Um, what Roman, you know, Rome is the political capital, mm-hmm. seat of power. Athens is the place where that dominates the world by culture, and so they are. If if the world is pagan, Athens is kind of like the the epicenter of the paganism mm-hmm. even uh today you could go visit uh, one of the ancient uh seven wonders of the ancient world you can still see it i mean right. i mean i i don't think i'm pretty sure the idol inside has been destroyed but the structure itself is still there this massive temple to athena is still there i mean it dominates even today the the landscape but athens is the um Think about it. Uh, who who else from Athens? It's it's not only this incredible architectural and art like center. It's the center of philosophy. So mm-hmm. you've got Aristotle and Plato and Socrates and Epicurus. They're all they're all from here. This is their home, right. their hometown, or were you mm-hmm. know before Paul arrived on the scene. Uh, but that's who they are. Um, it's a major place for, as we'll see, the Stoics, the Epicureans. They're there, um, and. 
the entire city is united around this culture, this pagan culture. So everywhere Paul goes, you have, I mean, the best that man can give and offer in art and in architecture, huge, massive columns and huge temples and intricate designs of these idols that appear like men, and people are worshiping them, and they're bringing their food and their drink, and they're, you know, even some of them are, are engaged in cult prostitution, and, uh, you know, a byproduct, as said, you know, byproduct of cult prostitution is babies, mm-hmm. and, well, what do you do? You throw those babies away, and they all think this is moral, and this is good, and this is right. Um, so it's like the center of idolatry, you know, this place is the birthplace of democracy. It's not the birthplace of paganism, but it, it's a ma- it's a massive influence mm-hmm. on every uh, everything right. everywhere. Pe- I mean, temples to Zeus and Athena and Mars, which is the god of war, uh, or Ares, whichever whichever way you want to call him, um, Aphrodite. I mean, you name it. Nike, they're all there. This is the place, mm-hmm. and um, he sees that. And I mean, we're not told, but I mean, he, he causes um, inner. It causes some major inner turmoil. His spirit's provoked. That's the word that's used in the text. His spirit is provoked within him. And again, the 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 Greek's a little more uh, expressive. It'd be like having an emotional heart attack. We get a, a medical term called paroxysm from this word. And it means a sudden and violent onset of symptoms, like a a seizure, like mm. if someone had an unexpected seizure. Okay, um, and that's what happens inside Paul's heart, right. like in his inner being. And this is his motivation. He sees this; it, it causes this visceral reaction. It motivates him to to uh, bring the gospel. So the question is, kind of, it's interesting to think about. Paul wasn't really motivated by compassion. He's not looking out like, oh, man, like all these people, mm-hmm. they're just lost in their idolatry. He's sad. That's not what's going on. Okay. Um, it appears what's going on is he's motivated by a jealousy for God, mm. I think. Okay. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm open for, to, to be proven wrong in eternity, uh-huh. but know, just knowing Paul, if you read Paul, like I feel like I don't know him, you know. I feel like I could know him better. But you read the Bible a lot, you feel like you kind of get to know Paul. Uh, Paul lives for the glory of God above all else, mm-hmm. above all else. So I think he sees an entire culture united around worship, like they're they're dedicated worshipers, and their worship should be going to God. And I think it it provokes him to righteous jealousy for God's glory. So they're robbing God of glory, I think, is what is going on. Okay. You know, this Romans 1 kind of tells us, and people claiming to be wise become fool, they worship images of men and creeping things, and they exchange the glory of God for a lie. Mm-hmm. And that's what we see in Athens. Okay. They've exchanged the, God's glory for a lie. Yeah. <clears throat> and um, that should be our motivation as well, right? It should be, yeah. We should look at our culture accurately. Mm-hmm. And say, and the question that I brought up in the beginning is, how did Roe get passed in the first place? Right. We look back at the past and we say, oh, there's a golden age of Christianity sometime in the past, 50s maybe, 60s, mm-hmm. or probably not the 60s, Rick, because weird stuff started happening, but 50s and 40s, <laughs> yeah. there's a golden era of Christianity, uh-huh. and the answer is no. Yeah. 
Roe would have never passed if the majority culture was Christian. Okay. It never could have. It never would have been allowed to pass and gone through. Right. And it, it did, and it's remained ever since. Francis Schaeffer, in his book, he, he has a book called The God Who Is There, and he talks about the culture. It's a very helpful book. If you haven't read it, I recommend that you read it if you're listening. And he, he marks the date as 1935, when prior to 1935, everyone, for the most part in this nation, even those who weren't Christians, shared a common, uh, the com- a common presuppositions, which means they had f- the common foundational beliefs, right? There is a God, so the opposite of that would be false, that there is not a God. So everyone believes there's a God. They believe in truth, objective truth, that there really are truths. They believed in morals and right and wrongs. Um, and so that is kind of like a shared experience everyone had here. After 1935, it all, it all changed. And he outlines why, but that infiltrated every area, philosophy, art, music. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, book, the book's brilliant because he shows all these, gives examples. Um, the general culture and theology. And all of those steps had taken place prior to 73. That's how Roe got passed. So, in other words, we had become a pagan nation before Roe. Okay. Now, here we are 48 years after Roe. Right. It's really <laughs> set in. Right. Right? Boys aren't boys. Mm-hmm. Girls aren't girls. Um, your sexuality, though, is locked in by birth. But your gender's fluid. Like yeah. we live in this hodgepodge of like contradiction. Right. Truths are lies, lies are truths. Like we have no idea what's going on in culture and in the world anymore. There is no truth. Uh, you're, every individual's free to make truth for themselves. So when we look at this culture, we have to look at it, right? Like Paul. Like we have to come into look at our country and say, we live in a pagan country. This place is pagan. We don't worship. We don't worship. Uh, we don't worship idols. We don't go to a building to worship idols, right? But um, we uh, we worship liberty. Mm-hmm. That's that's a, that's something you just think about it. We worship liberty, and by liberty, it's not liberty as the founders intended, which is liberty to uh, live your life to the glory of God, free from oppression. It's liter- literally today we worship liberty from God. Right, the right to self determination, um, and we live for pleasure. So we don't worship Aphrodite in a temple; we just worship pleasure mm-hmm. itself. Right. Um, so we have the same idols; uh, they just change names. And this is our world. This is we live. We are Athens. Right. Yeah, <laughs> we. That's who we are. Yeah, we've we've erected all of these idols in our hearts mm-hmm. and it it shows itself in how we we're living mm-hmm. and our culture is just saturated in this idolatry yes the the idol like you said of self it's yeah. we we are in a, a nation of libertines yeah where you just pursue whatever you want and don't worry about the consequences because you can get rid of the consequences right um, and it's that it's that idolatry that um, we have to engage with. Yeah. It, so bringing it back to abortion, mm-hmm. um, the abortion itself is just it's just a symptom of something that 
is going on deeper. Yeah. It's, it is because it's not as a lot of people want to say, well, it's because of poverty and it's because they're just not educated. It's, that's, that's not the root of it. The root of it is convenience is that we're pursuing self. We're pursuing our own pleasure and our own, um, our own goals. Yes. And a baby just gets in the way. Yeah. And the argument is now shifted. People know it's a baby. Mm-hmm. They acknowledge it fully that it's a human life. I, right. I quoted several examples. Um, so the argument has changed. Yeah. The argument now is, yeah, it's a human. So what? Literally, that's what it's become. Yeah. So you can't you can't address that from a non spiritual right perspective. You can't do it. Like the cult and the culture embraces that. It's not just a few few weird people. Mm-hmm. Like it's the culture. We know it's a human, so what? My life's more important than their life. Yeah. And the only the only way you can you can come at that is to come at it like you would come to a pagan culture. Um, sexual immorality is idolatry. Right. That's what Paul says. Right. Yeah. Child sacrifice is idolatry. Um, we just have a different name for it. We call it abortion. Yeah. So Paul sees all this idolatry, and he goes to the legislature and says, "We gotta we gotta outlaw." All this idolatry. Right, right. right. Yeah. And we forget the world that the early Christians lived in, right? Uh-huh. They are surrounded by paganism. Right. It permeates the minds of these people. Mm-hmm. When he preaches to them a God, the the one true living God, and then tells them that this God uh, became a man and died on a cross, they think it is the stupidest thing they've ever heard in their lives. Right. It tells us that in Corinthians. Yeah. Utter stupidity. Um. And we just we have a strange way of thinking back. Like they, the Christians would walk down the street and see that these people are throwing their babies in the trash, and they would rescue them. Um, but then, what's interesting is to think about is how did they go about trying to dismantle this system? Right. Um, they had no legal means to do it because everyone shared the same worldview. And so, what I'm arguing, I think. And I think this is where we are. I hope I'm proven wrong, but I think I'm looking at the culture correctly. And maybe it will take 20 years to bear this out that um, I was correct in the assessment. I think the culture is so far gone here that as just as foolish as it would be for a Christian to create a political lobby to try to overturn cult prostitution in Athens or wherever, um, it's just as... It's just as uh, it's just the same. Maybe not just the same, but we're very close, right? Because the the our politicians are pagan. Many of those who even claim to be Christians are pagan. Mm-hmm. They just name the name of Christ, having no idea who he is. Yeah. Um, the judicial system, uh, all of our judges, they're ruled by a pagan mind, right? Um, and so... <laughs> How do we engage that? Right. We have to engage it. We have to engage that like the early church did, like Paul did. Okay. So we we see that Paul's motivation for the gospel is the idolatry. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're we're surrounded by the same kind of idolatry. So we need to view issues like abortion in terms of idolatry. Mm-hmm. Um, we have compassion upon those who can't help themselves, but we also understand that the, the real problem is that people have a heart that is at war with God. They set up their own gods, and um, and we have to we have to attack that. Mm-hmm. We have to attack the idols. 
Right. And, and the, the abortion is such a horrific thing, not just because it's taking a human life, but because it's taking someone who's made in the image of God yes. and treating them like an inconvenience. Yeah. Right. And so it's robbing God of his glory mm-hmm. in destroying image bearers. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's our, that, that should be our motivation also as the glory of God. Yeah. Um, that's being, that's being marred by yeah. the I- idolatry in the human heart. Yeah. Yeah. And to see, a see, look at it, the culture and see that, um, even the people that are engaged in these practices, um, God's worthy of their worship, mm-hmm. right? But they're 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 idolaters. Mm-hmm. We want to see them become worshipers. Right. They can repent. God can change their hearts. Yeah. So let's let's move um, to the audience of the gospel mm-hmm. um, very quickly. We've we've touched upon the idolatry. Let's just talk um, very quickly about these two groups that were named okay. specifically here: the Epicureans and the Stoics. Tell right. us just just quickly uh, a little bit about the Epicureans and the Stoics. All right. The Epicureans, um, it's a philosophical school started by Epicurus, obviously. Um, they seek to live for happiness. So just think it's a simple way to think about it. They live for pl- for pleasure, to li- live for happiness. A motto emerged out of their their thought, their phil- philosophical system. It was to eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we may die. And they believed that the universe was not guided by anything. They believed in the gods. Uh, they wouldn't say they don't. But they say they're just not interested in human affairs, <laughs> right? Uh, at really, at all. And so the universe is basically random chance. Um, there's a purposeless universe, and there's there's no guidance behind it. So tomorrow, you may die. You have no idea. And so today, live for pleasure. Yeah. Today, mm-hmm. that's that's the Epicureans. The Stoics believed that a spark of the divine was in every person. So they are technically pantheists. Um. As as that's the term we would use today, everything is linked by this divine logos, and they believed in unalterable fate. So they're the opposite, okay. right? They believe your every whatever happens to you is absolutely locked in by an impersonal fate. Mm-hmm. So you may get run over by a chariot and trampled by a horse um, and be paralyzed the rest of your life later tonight. So the best you can do is to live through life with an unconquerable spirit mm-hmm. that fate won't conquer you. Yeah. And what I'm hearing in these descriptions is 21st century America. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in, 2000, in 2,000 years, the world hasn't really changed that much. It really hasn't. The, the human heart is still uh, an idol factory, yeah. <laughs> and they, they worship their idols in different ways, but they're still worshiping yeah. their idols yeah. Uh, either a pleasure or simply of uh, the human spirit. Yeah. The, the human, the triumph of the human spirit. Yeah. Right. And sometimes those things get melded together, and and uh, yeah, no, nothing has changed. Mm-hmm. And so Paul doesn't. He doesn't um, engage with these these pagans um, politically. He doesn't try to um, reason with them. What are you doing to yourself? Yeah. Right. He has a particular focus right. and a particular aim. And so that's the third point. Yeah, yeah. Which this is Paul's message. Yeah. And so what is Paul's message to these people? The, these this culture that looks very much like the culture that we're in today. Yeah. What is his message? Yeah. Um 
it's the message of the gospel, and it comes in really four. It kind of four categories. I mean, you could maybe other people could break it up different ways, but God, I think it's clear. God loves you and has a wonderful plan right, for your life. Right. Is that his? Yeah. Is no. That it? No. Okay. No. Um, <laughs> he. Uh, what's interesting is he doesn't even directly address their gods. He just systematically dismantles their gods uh-huh. by the way he presents and their them. whole worldview. Yeah, he turns their worldview upside down. Mm-hmm. And obviously some are going to laugh at him, as we'll see. Right. But he tells them the truth of God. We'll go through these. The truth of God, the truth of man, the truth of Christ, and the reality of judgment and the need to respond. And there's a two ways to live track. We gave this out Sunday. It follows the same pattern. Now, I don't know if they did that on purpose. Maybe. Yeah. But God, man, Jesus response, and that's kind of how we teach people to share the gospel here. I just thought it was interesting that the same pattern is right Mm -hmm. here in this passage. Right. Um, your gospel presentation should not begin with man. It yeah. should begin with God. Yeah. And this is a good um, practical application for people because growing up, I know, in, in a Southern Baptist church, I was taught to give my testimony uh-huh. and what God has done for me. There's nothing wrong with giving your testimony, but the problem with your testimony is it's not the gospel. Uh-huh. The gospel doesn't begin with with me. Mm-hmm. Um, I can I can give my testimony as an example of what God has done. Yeah, um, but it's in itself, it's not the gospel, right? And so we need to the gospel again. The gospel is a series of propositional statements. Mm-hmm. They're they're not opinion. It's it's they're they're truth statements. They're facts. Yeah. And so when you, when we talk about sharing the gospel, we are not we're not saying. Don't give your testimony, but we're saying it's got to be more than your testimony. You right. actually have to it needs communicate, to happen, yeah. and it needs to be clear. Yeah, you have to be clear on these things. Yeah, and so if you just think about these, I mean, you can remember God, man, mm-hmm. Jesus, response, right. or the truth of God, the truth of man, the truth of Christ, the coming judgment, and the need to response. Right. And that's four easy things to memorize. Right. But that's how, that's how he addresses, and he and he talks about the truth of God. And the way he does it is, they're so religious, they're worried of offending a God they don't even know about yet. <laughs> right. I mean, they'll adopt new gods. They find new gods. They're like, oh, let's adopt these new gods because mm-hmm. we don't want to make them mad and have something bad happen to us. Right. Like that's paganism. Yeah. Right human behavior wins the favor of the gods. Yeah. And people approach Christianity like that, which mm. is insane. Right. Because what they are is they're pagans, and they've thrown Christian terms on it. Um, Christianity is the opposite. God's yeah. always the initiator. He's the initiator. It's always about God's grace and His mercy to undeserving. That's a little side note, <laughs> but that's the root of paganism, right? So they're so they're so worried. They're like, there could be a God somewhere that if we offend Him, bad things will happen to us. Right. So Paul's like, oh, you, I see, perceive you're very religious. You have an altar to the unknown God. What's unknown to you, I now proclaim to you. And when he proclaims this God, uh, the God they don't know about. Then all of their gods, you know, he deals with all of them. Yeah. So the first thing, you know, he tells them in verse twenty-four is God made the world and everything in it. Well, that sounds like a simple statement, but it's a very heavy theological statement, right? He's Lord of heaven and earth. There aren't competing gods. There's no pantheon. There right. is the God, the one God, who created everything. So there's he's not part of creation, right? which this already starts to deal with the Stoics. He's not part of creation. He's separate from his creation. He's before creation. He created all things. Not only that, he doesn't need anything from you, Athenians. 
Like, you're not going to serve this God in the way you serve these false gods. You're not going to bring him food and drink and whatever as though he needs stuff. Like, how, how strange is that, that people worship gods like that? <laughs> right. God needs food and drinks. So let's uh-huh. bring it to him. He says, God is not like that. He doesn't need anything. Um, this God is self-sufficient. That's what he's getting at. He's self-sufficient in himself. He needs nothing from man. That is a major blow to man's, yeah. to man's ego. God doesn't need me. And that's where he starts. But as creator, he's worthy of all worship, honor, and glory, because he created. And so just by the very uh, reality of who he is, he's worthy of everyone's worship. He's the one and only true creator. That's the truth of God. The truth of man flows from that. The exact opposite is true. In fact, God doesn't need you, but you need him. You're dependent upon this God for everything. This, you know, verse 25, 26, 27 gets at these points. He gives to life all mankind, and he made from one man all of, you know, every man that lives on the face of the earth. You're dependent on this God for your life. Um, You don't have life apart from him. He gave it to you. He created all things, and he created you. Um, Not only that, he's providentially in control of everything, including your life. He determined where you would be born, the times you would be born, and so the Epicureans are refuted that everything's random chance, and the Stoics are refuted because the universe is governed by a personal God who guides everything providentially. He's sovereign over all things, including when you were born. Imagine hearing that from Paul, the Athenians. God created everything, and he determined I would be born here, right, and live my life during this time period. That's yeah. what they're hearing. Right. Um, and that's amazing. Is a personal God who rules over all things. And then verse 27 kind of gets at the purpose of life. Like, why did why why does man exist? It doesn't, it's not a statement of how people are saved. People try to use that here. You got to go to other passages that are on that part, right? Like yeah. a, that are about salvation theology. This is really a statement of purpose. What was God's intention? What's God's intention for man? And his intention was that they would they would know God. That's your purpose. So you don't have to go through life wondering what your purpose is. Like everybody just, just you know, they're, they're wandering through life lost. Like what is my purpose? People still do it today. The Epicureans did. They said, well, purpose is pleasure. It's just getting enough pleasure because you might be dead tomorrow. And the uh, Stoics were like, well, let's just survive and be unconquerable in our human spirit. And, and the Christians, Paul brings to them and says, your purpose is to know God. That's a, that's a huge difference. It's not to be some slave of these gods, right? Like you have, it's to know this personal God. That's a major shift. But then the reality is, is you don't know him. And that's why he says, you shouldn't be thinking about him like you do the other gods. Uh, He's not silver and stone. He's not a created thing. And we don't know him because we've become idolaters. That's the reality of man. So then he gets into the truth of Christ. The ne- next, he gets into the truth of Christ. And what we have in Acts, in, when we come to portions like this, is a shortened version of uh, the gospel, mm-hmm. right? Because we have we have fuller pictures of the gospel in other chapters. Right. Yeah, we're, we're not supposed to think of um, that this was the whole of what Paul says. Right. This is Luke recording... The highlights. Yes. Like, and he's compressing yeah. what, what Paul has said. So there. if he says Paul's preaching the resurrection of the dead, right. we know 
what he means is mm-hmm. he's preaching Christ. Right. Or Jesus and the resurrection. It's shorthand for, hey, remember what I told you before? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what you learned before in Acts? That's how these Christians preach. Right. So he brings to them and lays before them the reality of Christ, that God, the God-man Jesus Christ who died for sinners, died for our idolatry. He died for our idolatry. He was crucified on a Roman cross. He was buried and he raised again on the third day. That's how he engages a pagan culture. Not with every apologetic under the sun. <laughs> right. It's with the reality of Christ, of who he is. Yeah, this is a good this is a good um, illustration for people as they're doing apologetics because you can I think we've talked about this before, you can get so overwhelmed. I don't I don't have all the answers to every objection that mm-hmm. that people are gonna throw at me for why Christianity isn't true. And uh, Paul doesn't worry about that either. He he's, he is familiar with their culture. He, right. he quotes from two of their own philosophers and right. poets, um, but he doesn't. He's not he's not laying out some cosmological argument mm-hmm. for the necessity of God. He just he just has this presupposition. Here is this God. Yeah, he is real. He exists. This is the truths about him that have been revealed through the scriptures. Here's the truth about man. Here's the truth about Jesus. Yeah. He he just comes to it as this is true, right? What's very interesting to me is uh, people say, "Oh, well, look, Paul is just arguing from natural revelation," mm-hmm. but that's not true. No, <laughs> what Paul is doing is right. he's arguing from the Old Testament uh-huh. without quoting the Old Testament. Right? These people don't know the Old Testament, mm-hmm. so he's arguing the truth propositions of the Old Testament. Right. Two pagans. Um, so he's not he's not arguing from natural theology, I guess what I'm saying. Right. So he tells him the truth of God, the truth of man, what God has done for man in Christ, and then the last one, the reality of judgment and the need to respond. Right. He tells him you've got to repent. It's time to repent because there's coming a time when every person will stand uh, before God in judgment, mm-hmm. and they'll be judged in righteousness, meaning perfection, the standard of judgment is for the perfection of Christ. So you will either be in Christ and in his righteousness, or you'll stand condemned. And every man will stand before this God. That's what he tells them. So repent and believe this gospel. And the evidence is that he raised Christ from the dead. He conquered death. Mm-hmm. And that's it. That's that's the presentation. Yeah. That's, that's not complicated. Right. This is this is how the the apostle <laughs> the apostle um, engages with a, a pagan culture that looks very similar to ours. Mm-hmm. We may be more techn- technologically advanced, but that just um, enhances our paganism. Right. It just helps us to sin in, in new ways. But the the heart that's behind all of this of idolatry, it, it's exactly the same. Mm-hmm. The, these worldviews are are very similar to 21st century America. And yet here's how the Apostle Paul engages with them. Uh He proclaims the truths of who God is and who man is and who Christ is and then calls them to respond. Yeah. You need to repent. Yeah. Um, But we don't always do that, right? We don't. That doesn't... (laughs) You know, we... uh, that's, that's That's not how a lot of Christians engage with the culture. If we ever engage, uh, that's yeah. true. Yeah, yeah, that's true too. It's e- I honestly think it's easier to engage politically mm-hmm. than it is to engage the culture like this, mm. right? 
you can get a lot of people to rally behind a cause and have a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. Um, many of them may be Christians, maybe some of them aren't, but that's easier to do right. than for you to know these truths, to be grieved in your spirit that people live in idolatry, and then proclaim this truth to take this gospel into the world. Yeah. Um, very few Christians share the gospel, which is, a, it should, it, it saddens me as, uh, just as a Christian to think that, I mean, it's, it's such joy to be able to do it as well. I mean, but if this is true and this is what you're about, how can you go through life never telling this to anybody? Yeah. Right? Uh, but yet, that's just the way most people that claim to be Christians live. Yeah, there's there's people here in Southwest Oklahoma that have never heard the gospel. Right. I mean, we're we're right right in the Bible Belt, right? Like the buckle, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and there are people who have never heard the gospel because Christians don't share it. They don't tell they don't tell people. And I think that going back even further to um, root problem again is the churches. The, yeah. It's the pulpit. It's the pastor's fault. Yeah. Um, so long in our our American culture, we have assumed the gospel. Mm-hmm. We've assumed that we still live in, you know, this idealized nineteen uh, fifties right. <laughs> America, where everyone goes to church uh-huh. and everyone everyone knows these things, and we've just assumed the gospel. Mm-hmm. We've assumed that uh, everyone knows what we're talking about. When I say God, it's the Judeo Christian God that pops in the people's minds. Yeah. Um, when I say Jesus, they know who I'm talking about. Right. And we've got to we got to snap out of that. Yeah. Because we're living in a culture that doesn't know these truths. Mm-hmm. They they don't they don't they don't even have the the foundational biblical worldview. Yeah. that we can we can build on. Right. They they don't. Yeah. And um pastors who are just assuming the gospel they're just tagging it on at the end and it's just a decision that you make um it's got to end it's got to stop we got to stop doing this we have to we have to make sure that our people are saturated in the truths of the gospel that they know how to communicate it that they they are um that they're believing it that they're they're meditating upon it the gospel is not just the entry into christianity it it's what covers the entire christian life and we we've got to get to this so that we can engage with the culture because if yeah. if if I tell someone you got to you got to tell people the gospel but they don't know it themselves yeah they're not going to be able to do it yeah the uh, uh it's just assumed and so often it's just jumped in right like if we do yeah. ever get to sharing the gospel people mm-hmm. will just jump in well well here's Jesus <laughs> right. like well who is that yeah and you're like well we live in Oklahoma well, uh-huh. that doesn't mean anything anymore it right. doesn't um Here's a prime example of, uh, I think, assuming the gospel. I was in up uh, at an abortion clinic, and there were uh, there there were other people there. One person that was there was kind of like hollering at people, you know, Christ is King. Don't kill your baby. Repent and believe the gospel. That's that's literally the type of things they were saying. Mm-hmm. So this lady comes out, and I said, Hey, would you come over here and talk to me for a second? And I took a different approach, and I said, "Hey, do you have any idea what he's talking about when he says Christ is King? Repent and believe the gospel." Yeah. She's like, "I have no idea what he means." Mm. Yeah. So I literally gave her a two ways to live track. Yeah. Which is what we give out here, and that's why two ways to live starts because they don't share the worldview. Yeah. 
it's literally a pagan mind before you. Right. You tell them there is a creator God. Yeah. You aren't an accident. He created you. Yeah. Not just everything, but he created you too. Yeah. And because he's your creator, he's worthy of all your worship. And you haven't been worshiping him. Mm-hmm. And the problem is that you're a sinner like me. The same problem I have, it's you know, it's your problem. And the answer that God gave for that is Christ. Now you can talk about Christ. Right. And they'll go, okay, this is God's response. And what is God's response? It's grace. Yep. If you start hollering, Christ is king, repent and believe the gospel, <laughs> right. to people who don't, <laughs> don't know. even know what that word means, right. you're just hollering law. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Christ is king is gospel when they understand the first part. Right. Um, Christ is king is a terror to those who uh, refuse to, to believe. So, Yeah, the gospel begins with God. We can't just assume and go there. Like, right. We can't just start there. Yeah, we we have to proclaim the truth of who God is. Mm-hmm. We have to start with God and work our way to Christ from there. Yes. Yeah. And then and then emphasize the need to respond. Mm-hmm. That's the last that people do. They don't stop don't stop short. Yeah, that's right. Give them the info. Yeah. And pre- if, Christ, if Christ is king, if all of these propositions are true, then you have to respond. Exactly. And even even people that don't respond are responding. Mm-hmm. So there is a response. So that that was the last point, and that's that's the end of this the story here in in Acts chapter seventeen. There we see responses. It's the same responses you see. Same today. responses. Exactly. Yeah. Again, they're the, they're changes. the same kind of people. Yeah, yeah. Some people <laughs> laugh at him and uh-huh. mock him. Right. They laugh. They laugh in derision. They're laughing it, and mocking. I think a lot of people. And and I think it I think it comes from the unbelieving community. They think, oh, these these people in the first century, they were just so gullible. They were told <laughs> right. that someone was raised from the dead, and they just bought it. Yeah, yeah. Well, the they ignore <laughs> the fact that that the the people in the first century they also understood that people don't rise from the dead. <laughs> there's no, there's no difference between twenty first century and first century yeah, when it yeah. comes to the fact that when someone dies. They typically stay dead. <laughs> Which is why the text says, when they heard of the resurrection uh-huh, of the dead, right. <laughs> they laughed. Right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah the, the people in the first century, they weren't just, they weren't just suckers. Yeah. <laughs> that got hooked into this, this fanciful story. Well, here we go again. Yeah. Uh, another person's risen from the dead. I guess we'll believe this story. Yeah. Yeah, no. When they heard yeah. that, that Paul was preaching that Jesus rose from the dead, they started laughing at him because ah, people don't rise from the dead, Paul. Yeah. That's right. So, so this, so if uh, if you're afraid that someone is going to laugh at you when you when you preach the gospel, guess what? Yeah, they laughed at the apostle Paul. Also, let's put that in a book. I like books that keep it real. Let's write a yeah. book about the gospel and say, um, if you're scared someone's going to laugh at you, uh, guess what? They are. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> They're going to. Yeah. Just go into it, yeah. Expecting, yeah. expecting this, but that's not the only. That's not the only response we see here that people were laughing at him and mocking him. Um, there were some people that said, "Let's, we want to hear you again." Yeah, it's kind of indecision. I don't really know. I mean, who knows? Uh, God could be softening some people's hearts, but it's indecision. So it is a decision, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, they have. They're, all put, the they're putting off for they're tomorrow putting, what what they need to respond to today. They're putting it off. Yeah. Uh-huh. 
Yeah. So, and we have people that that still do that. They do it a lot. Well, yeah. you know, I need to learn more about the Bible. Uh-huh, right. I just need. I don't feel like I know enough about the Bible. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, I just told you the whole story of the Bible, <laughs> right? <laughs> in four propositions. Yeah. Um, that's what the whole Bible's about. Well, you know, I'll look more into that. Right. Maybe later. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but then there's, you know, the way that we're we've been talking about um, engaging with the culture. And how the culture is so far gone, and it's it's pagan, and and we we've, we've got to start at you know square one, and um, you know there there's not there's not a lot of um, you know hope that this culture that's so lost in paganism is going to make abortion illegal when they they love it it's yeah. it's their idol, um, and and so people can come away thinking, man, you guys are really. Uh, presenting this hopeless scenario <laughs> and it's really bleak mm-hmm. and really cynical and and why don't we just toss up our hands and say well we we probably should just commit ourselves to our church and not worry about anybody else um but the the last the last um verse it doesn't it doesn't allow for that hopelessness mm-hmm. there's hope yeah because right. yeah some people laughed at paul some people put it off um, but that last verse says that there were some people that actually yeah. believed. Yeah, two lists by name, and then he says there were others also. Mm-hmm. One of them is an official, yeah, uh, like a ruling official, Areopagite. Yeah, that uh, this place where he is arguing publicly. Also, when the city would gather for different rulings, these several of these officials would gather to rule on city matters. Mm-hmm. He's a person of influence. Um, not that it matters. I mean, God can sa- God saves people of non-influence, but right. you'd think, oh, this is a guy steeped in idolatry. Obviously, he's an Arapagite. Yeah. Um, God changes his heart after hearing the gospel one time, apparently. Yeah. He becomes a Christian. <laughs> right. Yeah. Here's a pagan yeah. who is converted. Yeah. And that's the hope. Yeah. But the hope is not... Um, me being so eloquent and having all the right things to say, because here's Paul, and he he knows the gospel. Um, he he knows how to to talk to the people, and there's still people that laugh at him and yeah. and reject the gospel. the The hope is not in the speaker. The hope is in God sovereignly saving people. Mm-hmm. And as long as we are faithful to preach the gospel, there's always hope. Yeah. That no no situation is hopeless. Yeah, because Christ is King. That's not just some yeah. you know, trite statement that that Christians um, put on stickers and slap on their bumpers. Right. right, Christ, He actually is King. Yeah, um, He actually has ascended and He's He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and He is putting all His enemies under His feet. Yeah, that's right. We we don't know what that's going to you know look like in American culture. Mm-hmm. Um, Athens still had idolatry when when Paul left. Mm-hmm. Um, God didn't sovereignly save everyone and overturn the idolatrous culture. Uh, God may not overturn the idolatrous culture in America. Yeah, I mean, we, we don't have a promise that abortion will be criminalized yeah. in our lifetime. Yeah, we don't have the promise. Or, or uh, in the lifetime of America. America may be judged before maybe. that happens. Yeah. America may just be wiped off the map before that's that happens. Yeah. But the 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 truth is still there in the scriptures yeah. that Christ will every enemy will be put under Christ's feet. 
Yeah, and if abortion is criminalized in America, mm-hmm. I think it will be because God sent revival, mm. right? So many hearts and idols have to topple, right? and only the gospel can do that. Mm-hmm. Judicial hearts, the legislature, and not just that, the general populace that would right. support this type of change, and only the gospel can change change that. Yeah. So, so if we if we want to see culture changed, preach the gospel. Mm-hmm. Preach the gospel first to yourself, then to your 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 family, to your children, to your neighbors and friends and coworkers and yeah. people that you go to school with. Preach the gospel. It should get the primary energy, effort, time, mm-hmm. finances. That should primarily be going toward the advancement of the gospel. Yeah, and the reason why we don't do that is because we 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 confess that we believe the gospel, but there's still that that nagging doubt. Mm, is it enough? Is it powerful enough? Or do yeah. I need to do something else? Right. And so we need to be um, awakened again to the power of the gospel. Mm-hmm. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Yeah. And so we need to be committed again to preaching the gospel and and praying, praying for the salvation of people, pray for the salvation of the president and the vice president, pray for the salvation of those who are in leadership, Um, pray that God will will change their hearts and that they will, um, they'll rule righteously, Mm -hmm. right? Yes. But uh, regardless of what happens in the future, acknowledging Christ is king, um, he will save his people. Mm-hmm. His kingdom will come. Yeah. And one day um he will establish righteousness on the earth and abortion will be gone. Yes, right? indeed. All right. Well, thank you for uh for listening, for watching, for joining us today for this text driven Tuesday. Thank you Jay for preaching Acts chapter 17. That's a a great passage of scripture and I hope that it's been uh, informative and helpful and um, that it's causing you to think more deeply richly upon the gospel uh, next week we'll be jumping into second peter lord willing so Get back I'm, at uh, it i'm looking forward to, to preaching you'll be yeah you'll be interviewing, I'll be interviewing you yeah, yeah right. all right well we hope that you will join us next time for, for the an- 100th episode 100th episode is on friday that's right the 100th episode can you believe that that's right (laughs) yeah we're just we're just putting them out there (laughs) all right well join us next time for the 100th episode of conform to christ